How can we tell whether a child might have symptoms of ADHD versus simply having difficulties in their attention? When should a child receive a clinical evaluation for ADHD? What can teachers do to help these students in the classroom? And how do ADHD medications work? I will answer all these questions and more in today's episode. I am Cindy Huffington, and this is Curious Neuron. Welcome to Curious Neuron, a podcast about child development and education with information that is backed by science. I am your host, Cindy Huffington. I have a doctorate degree in neuroscience and postdoctoral training in education. My specialties are understanding how the brain develops and how play promotes learning. I love searching through science articles to see what I could apply with my own three kids, and I want to share this information with you. Follow Curious Neuron on Instagram to vote for the topics I'll cover and send in your questions for the experts. For more information, visit us at CuriousNeuron.com. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Curious Neuron podcast. So according to the American Psychiatric Association, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD, is characterized by symptoms of age-inappropriate inattention, hyperactivity, and impulsivity. ADHD is one of the most prevalent childhood disorders with a worldwide prevalence of around 7%. There are still lots of misconceptions when it comes to ADHD, and I feel that we use this term very quickly whenever a child isn't focused or is being hyperactive. But ADHD is a lot more complicated than just moments of inattention or hyperactivity, which is why I wanted to cover this topic extensively. So today's episode, as well as the next episode, will both focus on ADHD. Let's get started with my interview. My guest today is a neuropsychologist who works at the CERC Clinic here in Montreal. She does neuropsychological evaluations for both children and adults. I had the pleasure and honor of being in her lab during my PhD studies, which is why I'm really excited for this interview with Dr. Audrey Benoit. Hi, Audrey. Hi, how are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank you. And I'm, I'm really happy that we can chat about this topic. You know, I, mm-hmm. when I posted this question online, I got inundated with, you know, emails about like <laughs> with their questions, parents, yeah. early childhood educators, teachers, and just wanting to know, you know, more about ADHD. So mm-hmm. I think we have a lot to talk about today. <laughs> yes. No, I, I could see that you sent me a couple of their of the questions <laughs> that you got. And they're, yeah. they're like very, they're very good question, very specific question. That will require like a very organized answer. <laughs> oh, okay, let's so let's see if we can get that to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I think where I want to really begin is I, I I was on the understood.org website um, this week, and I was just curious to see which co- which myths were still common around ADHD. And the one one that they wrote is that a, a common myth is that ADHD really isn't a medical condition. And mm-hmm. I think that this myth will open up a lot of conversation around, you know, why does this myth persist? But then what is ADHD? You know, what mm-hmm. is it a condition? You know, what are the signs and symptoms? So so let's talk about it in general. Right. Yeah, the basics. Uh, so so for, first to start, ADHD is 100% real. Okay, It's not something <laughs> made up. Um, um, it is a, a neurodevelopmental disorder, uh, which means that it's something that you're born with and that relates to how your brain develops and how the different parts of your brain talk to each other. Um, and it, it is definitely a medical condition. Um, there's a few reasons. ADHD is a, 
it's kind of a special <laughs> disorder and there's many reasons for that. Um, first is it's one of the only disorders that's been named after its symptom and not after its cause. Mm. And it turns out that its symptoms are extremely um, non-specific, meaning that a lot of people, normal people who don't have any difficulties have experienced at some point in their lives inattention or motor agitation and mm -hmm. um, it's also normal in the development of a child uh, a child that's like no child is born with the innate ability to focus on something for long periods of time it's something that develops over time um and on it, on its own or with help uh it does require help like for sure like if you'd never foster like a sustained attention if you've never fostered it in your in your baby and your toddler, for sure these, they're they're going to have difficulty developing it. But also, there's just biologically, uh, the brain is going to mature, and the the regions uh, just, there are specific regions related to sustained attention that are going to mature and that are going to help the child focus for longer periods of time. Um, and so that's the thing. The if you talk about, um, when I talk about um, ADHD, uh, just for the sake of our conversation, I will say ADHD, whether I mean uh, attention deficit disorder with or without hyperactivity. Okay. So I include both. And if there's a difference, I will differentiate them. Um, but there's mainly um, two clusters of symptoms. Um, there's the inattention symptoms, which is difficulty uh, being focused on the same activity for a long period of time, having difficulty also not being distracted by everything that's irrelevant around you. Mm -hmm. um, there's uh, the hyperactivity cluster. This is uh, combined with impulsivity. Impulsivity is part of hyperactivity. It can be motor. So a child that gets up all the time when they shouldn't, runs around when they shouldn't, um, or make gestures like a push pushes people when they shouldn't um mm -hmm. but also verbal impulsivity so when they interrupt people or talks talk incessantly for example um <laughs> so this is this is part of the hyperactivity um cluster of symptoms um and it's it's thought to be present in the it's approximately five percent of children uh we definitely do talk about ADHD a lot in, yes. I think in, in Quebec. I don't know if it's really like that. <laughs> That's <everywhere>. true. <laughs> we do so, yes. Uh, I, I mean, with the symptoms that you just described, mm -hmm. I think you just described every toddler that I've seen or even right. in my own home. Mm -hmm. So how is there um, a specific age for diagnosis when it comes to ADHD? Right. Um, yes. Well, what, when we're looking at the symptoms, we want what we're looking at is is the are these symptoms unusual for the developmental age of the child so it's going to happen in every toddler but they mm -hmm. should grow out of it at some point and if they don't that's when you have a problem okay. um we are usually more careful when putting a diagnosis for children that are under eight or nine years old okay um as starting at eight or nine years old that's when we're starting to be the most sure of our diagnoses and it's something that's common to a lot of neurodevelopmental disorders is that um there's no blood test there's no genetic test that you can do mm. there's no brain scan that you can use to diagnose it without a doubt 
So there's always that we try to eliminate the, the risk of, of false diagnosis as much as we can, but there's always going to be a small percentage where we're, it can't be 100% certain. Mm-hmm. But okay. um, right, so but so when we diagnose a child under eight or nine, we usually will, sometimes we won't specify a severity level, just because they're quite young and we want to give their brain a chance to keep maturing and see how things will fall into place in the in the next two three years, um, or we might sometimes put prov- like a provisional diagnosis or like a like possible ADHD to be confirmed, like either with a follow-up evaluation in a couple of years. Um, but yeah, starting eight or nine, that's when we're the most sure of our diagnosis. And do you think that in our society, we're using the term ADHD too much or that we're jumping too quick to conclusions when we see a child who's mm-hmm. perhaps their temperament or their behavior is a bit more hyperactive than others? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it happens. And I think it's a kind of a vicious cycle of we talk about it so much <laughs> that mm-hmm. it's in everybody's mind all the time. So when there is a problem, I think that's the first thing that comes to mind to a lot of people, like whether it be teachers, uh, educators in kindergarten or whatever, mm-hmm. um, even for clinicians. Um, but like, as I s- explained earlier, because the symptoms are quite um, unspecific um, or like they appear in a lot of there's a it means that there's a lot of other conditions that can look like ADHD Uh, and ideally what you would want to do is eliminate all the possible causes of inattention or agitation before you say okay we've eliminated everything that it could possibly be now we think it's probably ADHD Mm-hmm. that's what's left. So could a child just have an, an attention difficulty without having ADHD? Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we're not talking here about individual weaknesses. So we all have things that we're good at and things that we're not as good at. Um, so this is, this, is a, this is a disorder that has a neurological basis. So when we're saying that the, the ADHD is there, it means that there's a very significant difficulty, not just a weakness. And this, these weaknesses when it comes to the brain and, mm-hmm. and, you know, a child who has ADHD, if you were to compare them to a child without ADHD, um, from what I've read, it's a lot of the frontal lobe uh, mm-hmm. fu- functioning. So can't, you said that we can't see it with blood tests or scans, but are there any structural or um, functional differences in the brain of a child who has ADHD? Um, yes, there are, and on several levels. So uh, I mentioned earlier, it's a bit about how different parts of the brain talk to each other. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's also there's connectivity differences between the brains of children with ADHD and children who don't have the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, we also see some structural differences. They are subtle. It's not like it's not like you can scan them. There's no missing parts in the brain yeah. or, you know, <laughs> nothing like that. It really is things that we see when we compare huge groups of children. And so really how the neurons are connected in some key parts of the brain that control attention and that control behavior. Um, and we see also some 
difficulties in the chemical signaling be between the neurons. Um, this is what, like we, we're going to talk about that later, but um, that's how the medication for ADHD works, is it increases dopamine, which is a chemical that you find a lot in the frontal lobe of the brain, mm -hmm. um, in that region specifically, and in other parts of the brain to help it function better, to make it more efficient. Okay. Yeah. And I think we'll get more into that with the medication because that's a big question that came up um, with yeah, parents. I imagine. So, <laughs> let's, let's try to divide our, our conversation today into like mm -hmm. age groups. So I think starting with, well, we, we sort of touched on that, but let, let's just um, yeah. start with younger children. So, mm -hmm. you know, b before they start school, um, I received some emails from early childhood educators who are wondering, mm -hmm. you know, the behavior or hyperactivity in children who can't focus. So mm -hmm. if we, at this point, if they're too young, as you mentioned, then it's not really an age where we could diagnose them, but we're seeing children that really stand out in terms of, you know, not being able to sit down and do an activity mm -hmm. or focus for a long period of time. So yeah. what can these, you know, early childhood educators do if they have a child who's like this? Well, as a clinician, my first question would be um, to try to figure out why they're doing that. So that's the part, like when they're in the daycare, when they haven't started, when they haven't started school yet, mm -hmm. that's when you want to try to eliminate all the possible causes of inattention or agitation. Is it because they're very anxious? Is it because they have poor social skills or something like that or is it mm -hmm. because they're or sometimes it's just um environmental just by chance the child ends up in a group in daycare where just by chance there's a lot of disruptive children and sometimes mm -hmm. that can affect the child and make the child less focused because they're just there's too much going on in their environment and next year, if they're in a different group that with more quiet children, you won't see these problems anymore. Ah, okay. um, what about uh, sleep, yeah. lack of sleep in young children or even uh, excessive screen time? Um, yeah, well, that's one thing that we want to look at too. Um, so if the child has never had to sit with an activity ever like or play a game with others ever because they're all they're just constantly on the phone or tablet mm -hmm. and i mean they're not once they're in daycare they're not going to be able to do that because they haven't they just haven't been trained to do it they're just not mm -hmm. used to it um the other thing is yes yeah, sleep um sleep is something um that we yeah lack of sleep for like poor sleep for one night you should you should be fine. Um, but yeah. it, when it's consistent, uh, when it's prolonged, like, like disturbance of sleep, um, that's something that can impact your attention and your ability to control your behavior. So that um, we usually, when we do the clinical interviews, we ask about sleep and if the child wakes up constantly, like if they have a lot of nightmares um, or do they also, interestingly, do they snore? <laughs> Because ah. children, like young children that snore are, um, that's the, the, the medical doctor that works at our clinic told me that it's not normal. So a child that's very young that snores, it, it warrants a visit to the doctor and telling them about it and see, is there an obstruction? Are they not? That's when they will look into, do they need to have uh, their um, 
their tonsils removed or like if there's any sometimes they're too big and it mm -hmm. that makes them not stretch weight a little bit like they have sleep apnea but yes okay yeah. So that's something to watch out for. Yeah. Okay. So now, you know, that, that would be a younger child. Yeah. And so now let's say a child who begins school, um, mm -hmm. let's say grade one, maybe kindergarten to grade two, um, mm -hmm. a, a, a teacher might notice that they're having trouble with a certain child because again, they can't focus. So, or yeah. their behavior is, you know, often they're having trouble getting them to pay attention and sit down mm -hmm. and, I often speak with teachers who mm -hmm. feel that they have many undiagnosed um, children in their classroom, but yeah. I'm I'm trying to think of you know you just said before like you know there might be other things, mm -hmm. but what are some clear signs that a teacher might have to you know tell a parent you know perhaps your child should get evaluated? <laughs> right. Uh, well, I guess the clearest sign would be that the child the the teacher has tried all the flexibility measures they're allowed to try with the kid mm -hmm. and it's still significantly impacting his learning or his social relationships mm -hmm. there's no sign that really says okay if they have this one symptom that means it's for sure ADHD mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because so it's complex Yeah, and because yeah. a lot of things can look like it, and it's not mm -hmm. always obvious to the teacher because they, you know, they might not see the anxiety, or they might not see like if they are having problems at home, or mm -hmm. um, so. Basically, what you want to see is um, there are some things that the teachers can do uh, to help the child focus that has trouble in these early years is uh, seating them like a, prefer a preferential seating. So uh, giving them a seat closer to the teacher, farther mm -hmm. away from any possible distractions, trying to minimize the distractions around the child and calling to them a few times to make sure they understood that they're paying attention. They can also use this if the school allows some um, motor toys to allow the child to contract his muscles while he's sitting down. Are those the um, the fidget toys? Yeah, the fidget toys. Well, they, there has to be a motor, con like a muscle contraction for it to work as something that increases vigilance and attention. So the fidget spinners that were very popular, that, that's not, that doesn't ah, work because there's okay. no muscle contraction. It really, okay. it's like, uh, you can either, it's like a stress, stress ball works or sitting on, there's like a, you know, these big exercise balls, like the Swedish yes. exercise ball you can yeah, sit yeah. on, wobbly, there's wobbly stools that exist. Uh, you can also use like a, a weighted lap lizard. It sounds uh, pretty interesting. <laughs> right. So sometimes the very agitated kids with the, with a bit of pressure on their muscle with like a heavy blanket or plushie, they it'll encourage them to sit more still to be more oh. still um the other thing is they can wrap an elastic band around the legs of their chair that they can push or pull on it with their legs so oh. all of these allow them to contract muscle and move while sitting down okay. um so these are things that they can try so if they've tried that and the child is using them um And still, after a few weeks, they, they see that there's an impact of their attention on either their social relationships or their schoolwork. That's when they should tell the parents, maybe go see a medical doctor first. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the best course of action or the best way of saying it is, like, is to describe what the teacher observes in class mm -hmm. and say, 
like maybe not say right away, I think your child has ADHD. No, <laughs> your yeah. child is like your child is being inattentive, has a lot of difficulty focusing or is very agitated. And I've tried a few things and it's not working. Um, maybe it's time to go see a doctor and ask, like, tell them about it, ask what it could be to okay. try to figure out what the cause of it should could be. I think the way you, you phrase it is, is really important because some teachers that I've spoken with say they get a lot of resistance um, mm -hmm. from from parents, but it, it might be also in the way that they approach it or in the way they introduce the subject because, I mean, I can't imagine how difficult it is to, to be a parent that has a child who's not doing well in school and then all mm -hmm. of a sudden you're getting this possible diagnosis or, you know, this this term ADHD being brought up you know and yeah no so I I see I see that I understand the resistance but then you know this is a good segue into the next part of our conversation which is mm -hmm. a child who does go through evaluation and a child who is diagnosed with ADHD so what what happens let's say once they come into your office mm -hmm. uh, what what what's the 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 evaluation like right well it's just before I get into that I should probably mention that um in Quebec and probably the rest of Canada, if I'm not mistaken, um, mm -hmm. medical doctors, psychologists, and neuropsychologists can diagnose ADHD. Okay. Even I didn't know that even the, the medical doctors, I thought they had to come yes. see a psychologist. Okay. Okay. No, good. they definitely can. Uh, so the medical doctors and psychologists, what they will do is a clinical diagnosis or clinical interview. That's how it's through interviewing the parents, observing the child, That's how they are ideally supposed to do a differential diagnosis, try to see like, okay, the child is agitated and attentive. What are the possible causes that me eliminate it? See, is it ADHD? Um, that, that's also what we do in neuropsychology. We do that part, but we add a, an extra step, which is testing the children's skills with objective tests. So these are pen and paper tests or tests on the computer. And we will mm -hmm. go look at several functions of the brain and really measure them, compare them to an average, uh, average for their age and see mm -hmm. are there skills that are not where they should be for their age and how far and if they are below average, how far are they from average? Because we are looking, it's a neurological disorder. So we're looking at not just a little bit below average, but quite a bit below average mm -hmm. for it to be significant. So that's what we do. Usually we will meet with the parents first um, and then have them filled out questionnaires. And we're going to ask them about the de early development of their child, their habits at home. Like we'll go through a whole bunch of things like of possible symptoms. We'll ask them, are there tics? Uh, are there like social difficulties? Like we'll go through all the possible neurodevelopmental diagnoses. Um, and then that's going to also help us uh, determine what are the skills we should test in the child. Then after that, we see the child and then we're going to do actual testing with the child with some um, normalized tests. And here in in Quebec, um, how just to understand the system you know, mm -hmm. in case there's a parent listening who who wants to have their child yeah. evaluated. Um, so if I were to go to my child's pediatrician, mm -hmm. they could do the evaluation themselves right away. Yeah. Or okay, and then if I want to see a neuropsychologist to get a bit more of the evaluation, as you were talking about, how yeah. do I get? To, how do I get to you? <laughs> how do I get my child evaluated? <laughs> 
Um, well, for children, unfortunately, and uh, the public healthcare system, the wait list, like it's possible to get a referral from your pediatrician if they're unsure. Mm -hmm. Usually they're like, if it's a really clear case for them, if they do like a thorough job, uh, they will be able to determine is it ADHD or not? And mm -hmm. should there be a treatment? And that's all you need. And you know, for that, that's, that's going to be it. Um, if they're unsure, or that's when they might refer you to a psychologist or neuropsychologist for a more thorough evaluation. Uh, they can refer to uh, a hospital or a CLSC. Uh, the wait lists are quite long, though, and it's significant mm -hmm. for children, you know, if, especially if they're, like, failing their classes. Mm -hmm. um, so it is... The, uh, there is still a wait list in private clinics. You can, and in private clinics, you don't need a referral from a pediatrician or family doctor. You can just call and make an appointment. Just oh, okay. explain why you, what you need the evaluation for. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but then it's, it costs something. That's yeah. the yeah. difference. Um, mm -hmm. There's still a bit of a wait list, but it's not as long as the public healthcare system. Okay. And then, so once your child receives that diagnosis, I think the first question that comes to or pops up in a parent's mind is, mm -hmm. will my child have to take medication? And, right. you know, that's something, especially if you're talking about, you know, a seven or eight year old child, um, a lot of parents uh, have a bit of that fear of, of starting their child mm -hmm. on medication. Will they be on this medication the rest of their lives? How will it, or, or what sort of side effects can, well, well, or what sort of side effects will my child have if they take mm -hmm. these medications? So do you uh, recommend medications right away or do you recommend, you know, that they test a few things out and then start meds? Uh, what's mm -hmm. your, you know, uh, uh, what's your opinion on this? Um, well, the way we're working at our clinic, uh, it might not be exactly the case for like all the neuropsychologists out there. Um, but the way I work, the way we work in our clinic is that usually when we do confirm an ADHD diagnosis, ADD or ADHD, um, mm -hmm. if it's a mild severity and if there's no other diagnoses, um, we are not going to recommend medication as the first solution. We're usually going to recommend parents to meet with the school with our report because we write a whole evaluation report that we give to the parents we ask them bring that report to the school have them read it have them read our recommendations for accommodations in class and you yourself read the recommendations for home mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and we're going to try that first we're going to try to modify the child's environment to maximize their attention and their self-control And if that doesn't work, then we will consider medication. If ADHD is moderate to severe, or if there are other problems like learning disorders or anxiety or any other things that don't have a medication for them, um, in that case, we might recommend medication. Mm -hmm. um, Neuropsychologists don't prescribe medications in Canada. Uh, for medication, okay. you have to talk to a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. uh, same thing. We will say, well, take this report, take it to your medical doctor and discuss the options with them. But we can still discuss some of the medication. Um, so in the case where all the accommodations don't work, um, usually the first treatment will be uh, psychostimulants, which is the regular medication that we hear about. So Ritalin, Adderall. Bifantin, Concerta, 
vivants these types so these are mm -hmm. the names of a few of them mm -hmm. and so nowadays there's different molecules to choose from um, these that like i said before their job is to basically increase the amount of connectivity in the frontal lobe of the brain and this will help the frontal lobe better control all the other all the other functions of the brain so mm -hmm. control attention control behavior um these medications these are the ones they're easy to manage because you give them in the morning to the child and by the end of the day there's nothing left in their system like it's all gone there's no more effect and it works and because of that it works right away usually there's like a mm -hmm. three four days like habituation period but as soon as you give it it you should see beneficial effects. Uh, the side effects that happen with these medications, they're the, the ones that we hear about, um, is there might be some decrease in appetite over lunch, like in the middle of the day when the medication is at its most effective. Mm -hmm. um, however, appetite should come back for supper at the end of the day, and the child should even you know, compensate for what they didn't eat over lunch. Oh, okay. <laughs> so this is something, so, you know, if, if you have a prescription from a doctor and you see your child is not eating, not even at supper, and, you know, there's a big difference, so this is a big concern, it's a good reason okay. to go back to the doctor and tell them about it and say either the dose is wrong or we need to change molecule. Because mm -hmm. um, dose yes. is something they could play around with, right, in terms of right. to see, like, what fits your child best, I guess you could... Yes, and not all types of psychostimulants will work for all children. Okay. Um, so the, the other things to watch out for is impact on sleep. It's not supposed to be last, the effect is not supposed to last so long that the child is unable to go to bed at night, okay. right? If, if that happens, mm -hmm. that's probably the medication is, is has having an effect or like the body is not eliminating it as fast as um, it should. So... Mm -hmm. That's also a good reason to go back to the doctor and tell them, my child's not sleeping. We need yeah. to lower the dose or change the molecule. The other thing is increasing anxiety. Um, because it's a psychostimulant, sometimes it's, it's not supposed to create anxiety out of the blue. But if you have a child who already has a tendency to be anxious, um, it can exacerbate it a little bit. So if that's something you notice that a child becomes either very emotional or very anxious, like a lot more than before. And it's impacting, like doesn't want to go to school anymore because they're too stressed. That's also a good reason to go back to the doctor. A lot of some, I have had some parents come to the clinic and well, sometimes that's the thing. They, they get the diagnosis from a doctor, but they are not convinced by it. Mm -hmm. because, yeah. And that's when maybe like a couple, they've been prescribed a medication, but then a couple of years after they're like, well, we figured we wanted a bigger evaluation, a more thorough evaluation to be mm -hmm. really sure that we're not giving this medication for no reason. And yeah. um, so we can do that. And also uh, sometimes one of the mistakes that parents make is that they leave with their first prescription, the doctor gives them and never go back and no matter what happens they just say oh well that's how it is or they just stop the medication they, they, they realize there's too many side effects and they just stop it and they don't go back to the doctor to try something else okay um 
The other last thing to watch out for is usually that happens if the dose is too high. That's when you have the zombie children. <laughs> okay, that's also another, <laughs> that's also something that we hear about a lot, that people mm-hmm. have seen children in their environment, like either like my, their nephews or like there's a little kid in the same school as my kid. And he's like, they've put him on medica- medication and now he's like a zombie. Okay, mm-hmm. that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> okay, this, yeah. this is usually when the dose is too high, it, they become, yeah, kind of, uh, there's like a, they're like flat a little bit. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. They're not so that's another sign that the, the, the dose is wrong or, or yeah. the molecule. It's not well adjusted or it's okay. not what's, it's not the appropriate treatment for that child. So that's also something like they're not supposed to lose the spark in their eyes. Okay. So the other category of medication, so if you've tried like all the psychostimulants that exist and like none of them work or there's too many side effects even at the lowest doses. The other option could be a non-psychostimulant medication, which is a bit more complicated to manage because this type of medication is one that will require a few weeks before you see the full effect of it. Oh, okay. And it's not something that you can stop. Like if you forget a dose, there's more potential for adverse reaction. Whereas psychostimulant, if you forget a dose, it's just... The only effect is that your child is going to have a lot of ADHD symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, So these non-psychostimulant medication like Intuniv or uh, Stratera, but I don't think Stratera is approved for younger children, but um, these types of medication, they're a bit more complicated to manage, but they have a lot less side effects. And they're usually given even before bed because they help the child fall asleep. Okay. And with the psychostimulants, I've heard of parents who, I've heard of parents who stop the medication on weekends and then start it again on a Monday. Is that something that's recommended or you want a consistent dose? Um, right. Uh, yeah, it's, it is something that used to be done quite a lot. Um, but as I said, in the clinic I work at, we do have a medical doctor that specializes in ADHD, that specializes in ADHD and a lot of this information on medication I have is thanks to her. Um, but yeah, she doesn't recommend that anymore uh, because there is um, when you start a psychostimulant medication, you will have this Red Bull effect in the first few days where your child is going to be very energetic. Um, after a couple of days, this, is, this side effect should um, disappear. And it should, the only thing that should be left is improved attention and self-control. However, if you stop it even for two days, that's long enough for this Red Bull effect to reappear come Monday. Ah, okay. So it's not recommended anymore. Um, I have sometimes recommend, like if, if you want to stop it for the summer though, like because it's a longer period, mm-hmm. uh, that's usually something that the doctors will be okay with. Um, the other thing is um, if, you want to, if you want to reduce those for the weekend and uh, that's something that can be discussed with a uh, medical oh, okay. doctor probably okay that's interesting okay so now we've discussed you know the, the recent diagnosis and i'd love to have a better understanding of what a student with adhd would struggle with in school you've mentioned we mm-hmm. briefly mentioned cognition and social as well we don't perhaps yeah. you don't think about that often but there are social difficulties that a mm-hmm. child will experience right I'm going to end part one of our episode on ADHD here. And in part two, we'll cover more about what happens once a child receives the diagnosis of ADHD. So we'll look at what you can do to help them with their homework, what a teacher could do to help them in the classroom, 
And also, uh, we'll talk more about these anxiety symptoms that a lot of children have that could be misdiagnosed as ADHD. If you're enjoying the Curious Neuron podcast, please take a moment to rate it on iTunes or Spotify. Remember to follow Curious Neuron on Instagram or Facebook to vote for the topics that I'll discuss on this podcast and to submit your questions that you would like me to ask the experts. I hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time, stay curious. Stay curious.